This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. The Top 10 Reasons to Be an Architect is a good topic to discuss on an architecturally-themed podcast. And interestingly enough, this is the very topic that put the Life of an Architect website on the proverbial map. It's been 11 years, 11 months, and 2 days since I initially wrote that article, and I think it's time we revisited the topic. Welcome to episode 92, the top 10 reasons to be an architect. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about the reasons why someone would want to be an architect. Maybe we should start off with a little history behind this post. And I'm going to say the short version since the long version can be found in the original article. And kind of preparing for this, I jotted down some notes. And really, the short version is I gave myself a 30-minute time limit when I initially wrote it. And I wrote it as a response to somebody who I've never mentioned their name because I actually like them as a person. They had an interview that I read online. And it was so much baloney in it. (laughs) And there was a – that's not really fair – Most of his attention was focused on the premise that architects don't get paid enough. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And it's an argument that I'm just tired of hearing. I'm not saying it's not right, but I'm saying what profession doesn't want to get paid more money, right? Like that's not singular to being an architect. Every person I know on the planet, given the option. Yeah, wants more money at their job for what they do, for sure, right? Yeah. Wants more money. Yeah. Yeah. And so- Everyone feels undervalued. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The person who checked out your groceries today, they want more money. Yeah. They think they are undervalued for what they have to put up to do that job. Yep. So it's just one of those things that is kind of, it gets an instant eye roll for me anytime it comes up. And I know that I've done pretty well. So that may be a little ivory castle thinking for me. But now keep in mind, I wrote this article literally 34 days after I started this website almost coming up on 12 years ago. Hmm. My circumstances 12 years ago were a lot different than they are right now. And that seems to be the kind of the nature for a lot of architects, right? Like there's a lot of climbing up that hill (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so I I thought it was fairly negative and it got an eye roll for me and I was traveling at the time and I thought, you know what? I'm going to give myself 30 minutes and I'm going to write a more positive approach to being an architect. Like, what are the good things about being an architect? I'm tired. I'm tired of everybody trashing this profession that I've decided that I'm going to commit my life to, right? Maybe it was a self-preservation standpoint, (laughs) Yeah. right? The thing that was kind of funny is we'd also had a conversation in my office and and I attribute to this guy named Bruce. If he listens, he'll know that he's the Bruce I'm talking to. But he had a couple things that he said over the time that I had with him. That were very, very insightful. And I'm not sure that he meant all of them, but this one was fairly kind of a profound comment. And he came in one day and he was saying how he was at some event and like this light bulb went off in his head because people would come up, he'd go, what do you do for a living? And they'd go, oh, I'm an accountant. And they're like, what do you do for a living? And he'll say, well, I'm an architect. And that person would instantly launch into, oh, I wish I was an architect. And then he would instantly launch into why he made the right decision to not be an architect. (laughs) Whatever you're doing, it's, it's probably better. You're probably doing better than, than I'm doing kind of thing. And after a while, he said, you know what? I'm tired of that because it's not true. I mean, maybe if I stop thinking about it in those ways, 
there's some kind of cosmic alignment will fall into place for me. So it really had to do with trying to have a positive outlook on things. And so as a group, we all thought, hey, the next time somebody says, I wish I was an architect, my response has always been, since that moment in my life, has always been, you should have been an architect. Like you blew it. <laughs> Whatever you are, <laughs> this is better. This is cooler. My job is way better than yours. And, and you know, I haven't really pulled that card out too many times, but I bet I've probably said it about a dozen times over the last decade or so. I mean, I don't like wag my finger in their face when I say it. It's very tongue in cheek the way it kind of comes out. So I thought it had to do with putting yourself in the right mental place and how that might impact how you view things. That's a fairly straightforward position to come from when deciding to write this piece. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny. I looked it up right before we started recording as of this moment right now, and I don't think it's going to change. <laughs> it is the fourth most viewed article on my site, and it's closing in on a million page views just by itself. Mm. So imagine writing an article that's been read almost a million times. That's pretty crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I wish it was a better article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was better written. I know. I got you. I was brand new at it, so I want everyone to cut me some slack. So what I talked about with Andrew, what we thought would be fun to do for this particular episode is to kind of go through the 10 that were on that list and decide, did I hit the mark? Did I miss the mark? Is it still applicable or did I just blow it? Like, is this just like, what do you, what happened? <laughs> All right. So, yeah, sounds like a plan. Yeah. So, I thought that's what we'd do. So, number one on my list, if we just jump right into it, was it's a lifestyle, not a job. So, the way I wrote it was architects typically think about architecture all the time. I think that's a fair statement. I think that's pretty true. I know I do. And not just the big A type of projects or architects, but like everything. Like you go pick up a burrito, you look at where the drink station is relative to the checkout counter and you're like, this is bad traffic flow. Yeah. It's everything. Oh yeah. It's, oh, if they change the way the booths are oriented, they get more people in here or we would be so jammed on top or that plant's in the way over there. It's everything, right? Yeah. I wouldn't have to cross the people waiting in line to get something to go get pick up my food or get a drink or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. And I just wrote a post about traveling for architects and how a lot of the architects I know, they actually plan their vacations around the architecture of the place they're going, which is not the same thing as saying, hey, I'm taking a trip to go look at a particular building, which does happen. Mm -hmm. Sure. Certainly. But like in my family, my daughter generally gets to choose the places we go. So she'll say, I want to go here and then I'll go to wherever here is and I'll start looking at like, what stuff do I want to see while I'm there? Right. I know my wife and daughter don't want to do that. They mm -hmm. don't look and see what architecture is there. Yeah. So I think the comment that it's a lifestyle, not a job, still counts. I think that's a good one. It defines you. Yeah. I think it counts as long as you view it in a positive way. Right. I mean, I think there are certain people who could take that as a negative thing. It's all oh, you're always working, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I don't think it's that kind of thing. I think you're right. It's more about it's a personality or it becomes who you are. Yeah. So to speak. And, and that should be a positive thing. And it's not this idea of you're always working, but it's just that you're always thinking about things from an architectural perspective. Like the other thing you have on here about it was like 90% of the books you buy are architecture books. And I think that's pretty true. 
I think, for most of us. So I agree. I think it, it becomes a large part of who you are and what you think about, but I don't think that that's a negative thing. That's a that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You brought that up and I went, that's pretty spot on. And I didn't even think of it in that way because, I mean, it's funny that I just got through talking about the look at things from a positive standpoint. And that would be a really great example. Didn't even dawn on me that it being a lifestyle and not a job could be seen as a negative. But now that you kind of planted that seed in my head, that's a huge deal. Because I know for a lot of people, they want to have this church and state separation between what they do for a living and who they are as a person. They don't want that kind of crossover. I guess that's up to the listener. But for me, I think it's positive. And so I'm going to give myself an A plus on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so shocked. I'm so surprised. Yeah, I know. I'm a positive person. Why wouldn't I give myself an A plus? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you look at it that way, it should be a positive thing and not a bad thing, not a negative thing. Okay. I'm going to give myself an A. I'll knock myself down and go room for improvement. How about that? Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) Okay. Let's jump because some of these are going to be really easy and some of them we'll probably get into and talk about in greater detail, but this one is super subjective. So number two on my list was people respect architects. And what I wrote was, even if they don't really understand what we do, there's a perception that architects are ethical and responsible and will endeavor to make the right decision to our own detriment. It's part of the reason that maybe there's no evidence to suggest this, but I believe it to be true. I think that's why architects are so often chosen as the vocation, the job that title characters in movies and TV roles have because we're seen as the good guy, the good person. Right. Where if you're a doctor, maybe you're driven by financial rewards. Or if you're a lawyer, maybe there's kind of a dirty underside to your motivation sometimes. Like there's a perception that certain jobs have. And I've never heard architect mentioned in the same vein that that dirty bastard, he's an architect. <laughs> like, that, that never happens. Nobody ever thinks architects are bad people. In the movies, in the movies, right? In the movies. Yeah. I agree with you that I think that one's one that is probably kind of a hot topic or a controversy in a way, because I do think that everyone that meets me that doesn't know anything about what I do really respects me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I feel like within our community, in the AEC industry, we don't always get as much respect as we do in the general public, because I've had tons of, I shouldn't say tons, but I've had contractors and engineers or clients or whatever that probably don't respect me as much as they should or believe that I'm bringing something to the table because you get those things where like, Mm -hmm. I can do your job. All you're doing is drawing, which is a disrespectful thing to the general public. I mean, I think it's always one of the things like you said earlier about, oh yeah, I wish I could be an architect or I wanted to be an architect. It's almost like an astronaut. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be an architect, but then blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a level of respect. It's just, I think sometimes within our field or industry, we don't feel it as much. You just got to go to more parties without AEC people and you'll get that (laughs) adoration. You'll feel- You'll get that love. You'll feel the love. Yeah. Okay. So this would have been 2010 when I wrote that. So at the time, the firm where I worked, we did residential work. And so the vast majority of people that I interfaced with were clients and Moderately high end, not crazy high end, but certainly out of my price point, contractors. Mm -hmm. These contractors did, you know, work that cost 
three fifty, four, five, six hundred dollars a square foot and up kind of stuff. I wasn't really doing that expensive work, but they were. Mm-hmm. And they understood that collaboration and teamwork and community these are all mattered. And I think part of how I handle myself, generally speaking, when it comes to people in the industry is I get along really, really well with contractors. I think I can only I can probably count on three fingers the number of times that I've gotten crosswise with a contractor. I can see that how that has changed since I've moved to a firm that does more commercial work. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I think it shaded my position when I wrote this one back in 2010. Mm. The people that I interface with, it was all like, it's their money. My clients, it's their money. On Mm -hmm. commercial jobs, it's not their money. Like people are being paid to bird dog and make sure that not an extra dime is spent on something that somebody else has determined is not providing the value that they're paying for it. And it's not the end user. Like the end user sometimes isn't really represented in the process. And that's not true in residential work. So everybody's invested a lot different when they have ownership. And so the experience, when people see you doing what you do for them and the amount of time you do for it, it comes across great. So I was really lucky. My career, I've been really lucky in that I haven't had too many challenges with people disrespecting me from an architecture standpoint, but I do see it. Yeah. I see it in my own office from some folks. I think it is lucky. I mean, that may be also something a little more ingrained or oriented towards that sort of high-end residential because I think we do commercial work or public work or developer work. Sometimes you don't feel as much love. Granted, I do think that's also reflective of your attitude on it, right? If you're positive about things, then it shouldn't be that bad. But if you want to be disgruntled, it would be really easy to be disgruntled. Yeah. It wouldn't be a far cry. So generally speaking, we think that one still holds true. Like when you're out in the wild, oh yeah, people learn what you do. They like that's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. If I have no idea what you do, you're you're awesome. <laughs> well, you know, it's like my wife has a job title that I can't even begin to explain. I can tell you kind of what she does, mm-hmm. but like as far as the title goes, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's kind of like yeah. even when she was younger, they're like younger. She was still a grown person, but like, what do you do? I'm a consultant. What does that mean? Yeah. Like I've met thousands of quote unquote consultants in my life, mm-hmm. and I don't know what they do. So there is no kind of adoration that comes with, oh, that's so interesting just by you saying, what do you do? I'm an architect. Oh, that's really interesting. And there, it's a jump off point. Yeah. Not a lot of careers have that. And it's kind of fun if you're an architect because that's one of the best parts about it. I mean, it's not when you tell people that at a party and they want you to say, well, what do you think of my house? Like, that part's not fun. <laughs> Even you have to lie? Yeah, I know. No, yeah. No, but there's a certain uh, je ne sais quoi, right, to like being an architect. Yes. All right. Number three, the job is constantly evolving. So architects are not artists. We have to address building technology and programming. And there are constantly evolving materials and construction methods out there. And we're required as a profession to address the demands of the public at large, which includes things like building performance, energy consumption, incorporating recycled materials, et cetera, and on and on and on. Architects create new design concepts that push how modern-day construction is executed. And architecture is one of the few professions that is never static. Now, I'm going to say the job is constantly evolving. That's still true. But I'm not so sure that it's always a positive. It's becoming harder and harder and harder to keep up with the 80 billion moving parts and the specificity and all the niche roles that exist now 
that fall under our purview and still be the master and commander of everything. Like it's really, really getting hard and it subverts our role in a way that historically we've become kind of accustomed to, like as the gatekeeper of all information. It comes in, it checks out into our system, and then we push it back through. That's kind of a role we have when consultants and experts and stuff come on board. That constantly evolving used to be part of the thrill. You always had to learn new things. It all Nothing was static. And Because I can tell you in the early days, I quit jobs because I was like, I've done this a couple times already. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just do the same thing over and over and over again. I found it profoundly boring and I didn't handle it well. Now I look at it and I think, man, I'm not so sure that the speed and the rate of the constantly evolving, I don't see it necessarily as positive now as I did Back in 2010. Yeah. What I would say to that is, is I do think that it's still evolving. I think it's that it's the level of complexity it's gotten has increased exponentially since 2010, probably, like you say. It's a different rate of evolution with more players involved, whether that's materials, whether that's consultants, whether that's codes, whether that's all these sorts of things. It's just gotten way more complex. So the, the, the evolution part, I think, is, is okay. If you look at it from a positive standpoint of like things are changing and I'm always having to learn new stuff and keep up, but the complexity of that new stuff, if you try to tackle all of it, could get really, really overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Well, I was sitting there thinking about, let's pick something generic, like window package. I'll stay in the residential world. So in as recent as in the last 10 years, we would have a materials library and we'd have a product library. And if I wanted information on a particular window vendor's window line, I could go pull out their catalog and I could flip through the pages and I'd go, what's this? this is the size I want, blah, 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 blah. Just within the last 10 years, a lot of them don't even make those books anymore because things change so fast and so often that it's not worth printing it out and putting it on your shelf because everyone who's at least over the age of 35 has probably had that moment where they specified something that no longer exists anymore, even though it's in a catalog that they mm -hmm. pulled off their shelf. Yeah. And so you start going, well, I don't trust my catalogs anymore. Even if they're, I've had them three months, it may not be accurate anymore. That information might not still be true. They might not even make that product anymore. They make a new product. Instead of making the XJ5, now it's the XJ7B. And like you, how do I keep up with all this stuff? Because that's just one thing out of 500,000 things. Yeah, yeah. So it's both good and it's bad. So I'm going to say, I'm not going to say that it's wrong to be on the list, but it's not my favorite anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not my favorite. No, no, I get it. It's one of those things where it wouldn't take too much to view that as a negative part of the job. I think you just have to take it with some positivity and realize that that's what's happening. Because, I mean, even in the past two years, think about how much more evolved and complex our jobs have become because of everything that's happening. Not that everybody else hasn't also. Again, it's just another layer to throw on, like you say, the 500,000 other layers we're dealing with. Yeah. All right. So it, it's moved to the side. I think that one might need to be replaced at some point. Mm. The next one on the list, another hot button topic for me, artistic freedom and personal expression. <laughs> Right? It's like we can't even keep a straight face on this one mm -hmm. already. Yep, we yep, even got yep. through it. Yep. All right. So as an architect, 
We're given certain project parameters that help guide the direction of our projects. We are then given the freedom to pursue the artistic embodiment of those parameters. 10 architects with the same client and the same project parameters will provide 10 different solutions every single time. I agree with less than half of that comment anymore. (laughs) All right. I definitely agree with the 10 architects, same parameters, different results. Always. I still agree with that. That's going to happen. Yeah, that would never change. But as far as like someone says, I need something to do A, B, and C. First off, even then, you're never just left to your own devices to go solve it artistically however you want. Mm -hmm. That was never true. Mm -hmm. There might be a, a little bit of truth to that. Like clearly there's some truth to it because- how many times have we had conversations about architects being artists, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So we know sure. that that's in the mix in some capacity. Yeah. But I would say that, and this is also, let me walk this back a little bit as well. It might take a hundred architects to find 10 that even want to have artistic freedom and personal expression, mm. right? Like that's not a requirement for you to want to be an architect in the first place. That really is more to why I might not put this on the list. Now, if I were to rewrite it, then saying it's factually incorrect. Because in my office of 100 people, I bet I could easily find 50, 60, 70 people that this is not one of their requirements for job satisfaction. Yeah. Right? So, I don't think it should be on the list if it doesn't even support the interests of the majority of people who are architects. Yeah. I think there's another thing that involves some sort of problem-solving part, but I, I mean, that's different than artistic freedom and personal expression. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what gets replaced. It's the problem-solving capacity. Like if, if you're that a puzzler, like really, it's critical thinking. It's what we're talking about. Yeah, right. You taking different pieces of information and finding an alignment between them that didn't previously exist or wasn't previously pointed out or identified to you. That's really what that is. But I think personal expression... I don't think you can put that on the list because not everybody wants it. I think the majority of people don't care about that who are practicing architects. Yeah, I would give you that. Maybe it's the majority is not their consideration. Yeah. Possibly. It's one of those things I think it, typically you have a certain amount of freedom in there, but it, at some point it ends up being limited by your client. In the end, it's sort of their decision to allow those things to happen in one way or another. Yeah, we can't all be Tom Main. I'll put a link to it. I still, I wrote an article about it because I was so dumbfounded by this comment. And and I thought, I like Tom. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Quite honestly. And uh, honestly, I'm a fan of the work. I like his work. As crazy as it can be sometimes, seems like there's always logic and rationale that you can kind of peach your way through to understand why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. It's not so artistic that without some person's personal expression and artistic vision, that's the only way you could get to their solution. I don't believe that to be true. But I did listen to him give a lecture once where he thought that the owner gets absolutely no say in what the building looks like. <laughs> like he has zero interest. He goes, why should I listen to them? They don't know anything. Yeah. Their job is to tell me, I need these types of rooms. I need this much space. I need these things to take place. But other than those programming elements, nothing. They get yeah. no input. If I want to make it green, it's green. Because guess what? You don't get a say in the matter. <laughs> And I was like, man, not too many people have that kind of pull. Yeah, I was going to say, that that's a nice non-reality. <laughs> if it was a reality for him, that's great. But for the other 
99.9% of us, that is not how it works. Yeah, that is an aspiration, I guess, for some people. But man, I heard that and I was just like, I think my jaw was in my lap. I was like, <laughs> I, I yeah. go, he can't possibly believe that that's how it is for everybody, right? Yeah, that's true. You can't believe that it is for everybody. But if that works for him, I, you know, he is what he is. Yeah, he's like, I feel like you should like him even more <laughs> if he can pull that off. Yeah. So I'm going to say that one needs to be replaced. That one's off. Mm-hmm. Off the list. All right. Number five, we're almost at the halfway point, which ironically, we're almost at the halfway point of the show. So we're doing good on time. All right. Number five is an interesting one because I still believe it, but I'm not sure how convicted I am again. So <laughs> number five is you can be your own boss. Now, keep in mind, this is if you decide to be an architect, is this viable? Is this a path for you? And you can be your own firm of one and still be a viable service provider on almost any size project. You can enter contests. You can win commissions for major projects all by yourself if you wanted to. Like if you have that ability, you have that talent, you can certainly do that. We've seen, there's examples of it, of it happening. That's very, very, very small firm winning a fairly large commission based on the genius of their entry. That has happened. You don't need an army of people to design some rather spectacular and large projects. And honestly, I don't think that I can come up with another vocation that can provide similar latitudes. I mean, I've worked on projects with me and two other people, and it was a million square feet project. It was a mall. We did a mall. Three people did everything, a million square feet. Three people. That was it. So, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit jaded on some of that, but yes, it's possible. I think it's getting less possible maybe, at least as far as some of those like giant things. But being your own boss, I think it's a complete possibility if you have the fortitude and are willing to take the risk or chance on yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's totally in the realm. Well, you know, I wonder if it's the title is poor because the title is you can be your own boss. But then the descriptive paragraph doesn't really describe you working for yourself or you being a sole practitioner and what that may or may not mean. It's really just coming at it from the idea that as a sole practitioner, the world can be your oyster if you want it to be. Now, I know peripherally, and you know firsthand, that in public sector work, that's not true. Mm. And that small people cannot compete with big firms, should they choose to go after the work that was typically the dominion of smaller firms. Big firms seem to be eating up little firms left and right like crazy. Yeah, for sure. And all that's left for the people who are that want to be their own boss in a firm of one or two or three is kind of like these very small bespoke projects, which is hard. And even those people are getting squeezed out because now- If you don't have to hire an architect, people aren't hiring them. They're like, I want to do a bathroom renovation. I'll just hire the contractor and we'll just do it together, me and the contractor. Yeah. I don't need to hire a design professional to help me with that. So architects are kind of getting squeezed from both ends. But I do know more sole practitioner architects than I know sole practitioner fill in the blank. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Right? I think the... Sole practitioner, small firm work is all private commercial work. 
think it's the public work that gets to be much more difficult to achieve. And again, I'm, when I'm saying small, I mean like less than 20, not 50 people. You can manage it for sure. I think it's harder to get a foothold in that as a smaller firm. But anything that, that's privatized, I think you've got a shot at it, which that could be million square foot shopping mall. Not that they're building shopping malls anymore, but you know, <laughs> whatever that is, right? <laughs> if it's coming from some kind of privatized money and not public money, I think you, you can make a pretty good living if you just figure out where you fit. That option is available to you as an architect. Yes. We'll leave it at that. Yes. So I go, I think it's still on the list. I think so too. The next one I think is not specific to being an architect, even though it deserves to be on the list. It might also just be on the list of top 10 reasons to be a nurse or to be a teacher or to be a whatever. Yeah. So the title was, there are tangible and sometimes euphoric results. So anyone who has ever seen a building that they worked on, and I'm talking about like, you don't have to be a licensed architect. If you're in the field and you've seen a building that you worked on get built, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm still excited to watch one of my projects getting built. And I kind of describe it. It's like having your own laboratory where you can experiment and refine things that you consider to be important and worthwhile. And it ties into the artistic freedom we listed above. But it really comes down to having a sense of ownership in the work. And I will tell you, I went to a, a new client meeting. It was kind of dodgy. <laughs> Andrew knows this. Everyone who's listening, just to kind of sink it in the world we live in. I am in my guest bedroom right now, working from home for the next five days because I'm on COVID protocol. I don't have it. At least I don't think I do. Getting a test now is actually pretty hard, but my daughter definitely has it. She got tested positive. So I'm driving out to 30 minutes from here, going to have new client meeting, going to do a repositioning on an office building. And I'm about to get out of the car and I check my messages because I'm a little early. And my wife says, just got my daughter's test back. She's positive for COVID. And I was like, crap. <laughs> so I get out of the car and Don Powell, you know, of Boca Powell is with me. And I was like, hey, uh, Don, do you think I need to leave? Or if I like triple mask it up to try to socially distance, can I, if I still in the be other at this? Room, if just, yeah, yeah, I still yeah. need. I mean, it's Don Powell, so clearly he did most of the talking. I was there for color and stats and figures and square footage and dollar cost per square foot and agreeing and shaking my head, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but I, I typed up notes on my phone while we were walking around to help remember what we talked about and took photos, that sort of thing. So there was that question of, do I need to leave? Because I don't want to get people ill. But anyway, that was a lot of backstory that doesn't really matter. <laughs> I was like, how does this relate to our topic? I know. You know, it's the genius of my storytelling, Andrew. I had to leave town to go to where I was going, and I drove by one of the very first commercial projects I worked on when I started at Boca Pal. It's under construction. It's fairly far along the way. Mm. And man, I'm telling you, driving down the highway and I see it, I'm like, man, that is looking good. You know, and you have this, I made that, I created that, I was a part of that project with these other people. It's going to be there for decades, hopefully decades and decades. And every time I drive to the airport, I'm going to drive past my building is how I'm going to look at it. Mm -hmm. Even though lots of people worked on this project. Sure. Right? Sure. But everybody that worked on that project is the same way. Yes. They should be, right? That 
Yes. They're going to drive by and go, that's my building. I did that or I worked on that. Yeah. I don't know anyone else who has that kind of out in the wild, I did that, that's mine. Hey, see the little thing right there with how that stepped in? And I was like, see, I did that. That's me. Yeah. Other than maybe, I think the closest would be contractors or something that would be like, yeah, I built that. Yes. Right? I built that. I built that. But yeah. They're not, my accountant not go, is not going, yeah, that's my tax return I made, for, <laughs> you know, for Andrew. Yes. But yeah, I agree. And it, it's funny. I find it, it's one of those things that I, I really, now that I haven't had a project in the works for a while, I miss that. I miss that feeling of like, it came out of my brain and it's now getting built out into the world in reality. Like that is a, some kind of euphoric drug addiction thing to have that feeling about the stuff that you're working on. A hundred percent. And I miss it a lot, a lot. Yeah. And the people that use it love it and they're happy and they're proud of it. And just the fact that maybe this is egotistical to think it. And you know what? I'm going to lean into it if it is. But I know that they're going to be proud of their building. And it makes me happy to know that they're proud that that's their building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes me feel like, hey, my time on this planet went to making other people's lives better. Right? And that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Right. So, so definitely on the list. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of leads into the other one, the next one. It looks like, but yeah. I mean, when I made schools for people, and it's in some of the small towns where I built schools. I mean, this is like the only real architecture that they have, and it's also really a point of pride. You know, we've got a new school, and it's awesome, and we love it, and we're so happy, and it's a really good feeling to have that kind of impact. Yeah, and the memories that they're going to have for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Right. I still think about. The high school I went to. Yeah. In fact, a guy that I had at my Christmas party who I went to high school with at that school is the guy that just renovated and did the big addition to it. Hmm. And so we had all these stories about our time at the high school. Yeah. Most of which are not safe for- Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Air. <laughs> all right. So let's see. The next one on the list, which you're right, it- Leads right into it, yeah. It leads right into it. And it has to do with- we can positively impact people's lives. That's number seven on the list. We can positively impact people's lives. I mean, we can also negatively impact people's lives. <laughs> yes, we can. That's not on the positive list. Yes. The positive list is we can positively impact people's lives. Yeah. And I go, it's rewarding to develop a personal relationship with the client, particularly when you know that the process will yield a better product. And- when you bring the client in, when you bring your collaborators in, when you bring the consultants in and everybody plays a role, everybody ends up appreciating how they contribute to the whole and the whole is always better than the sum of its parts. And I think that the people who don't know those things, this is very kind of like I should have a pipe and leather patches on my elbows and I'm talking about these <laughs> philosophical kind of ideas, but it's the person who's going to use, say, the building I just described mm -hmm. that I passed driving to the airport, sure. the people that use that, they don't know me. They don't know what went into the decisions. They don't know how much something costs. They don't know that maybe what ended up is a variation of what was intended because the lead time was too long on that product or this one was too expensive. The contractor goes, I can't build that the way you want it. Any of that kind of stuff. They don't know any of it. What they know is- I like the light quality. I like my desk. I have a great view. I get to walk out on that patio. I can look into this thing. Like all the things that make their day better without having to point out, hey, this thing makes your day better. That's what yeah, yeah. I think 
we have the ability to do when we do our jobs correctly. I mean, I agree. I think it's a big part of what it means to be an architect, have this ability to impact people's lives in a positive way that they may not ever even recognize, but you do. And it was actually part of the consideration for why you did what you did. Yeah. I mean, like that's part of it. I think it's a definite keeper on the list for sure. Yeah. And a really positive point. I mean, if we were doing these things in some sort of actual order, I would move that one more towards the number one reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you talk to architecture students, this is a topic that they bring up. The idea that they can create a space that makes people's lives better. Mm -hmm. You know, and we even do a process. You know, I'm always talking about how much I use the narrative in my design process. and. We go through an exercise on all my projects now and even on the commercial projects that I work on, which is just a day in the life. It's the sort of thing where we go, this is not an unreasonable process to go through. We go, what's a day in the life of someone who works at this building? Like, I come to work in this building, as opposed to what's a day in the life of the person who works for the building, like the janitor or the person that works mm -hmm. in the cafe or like, what's their life like? What's the, the visitor's life like? What's the, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah what's, the, what's the arrival sequence? And it's things that it might say, hey, you know what? It's 11 o'clock at night. The people that are cleaning the building, they have to walk downhill and around a corner to go to where dumpsters are. That's not very cool. Yeah. We don't want to make their lives terrible <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. So maybe we can evaluate how can we screen it, but get it closer to the building so that their existence is not tortured at the expense of somebody else's experience. Mm-hmm. These are all the kind of moving parts that we go through. And so that idea that, and I guarantee you, they don't think about the fact that we thought about that. Well, hopefully we thought about it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully somebody's thinking about it. In Bob world, I'm thinking about it. So therefore everyone else is thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, and I agree. And I think it's, it is important to think about that kind of stuff. It does make an impact and they do appreciate it, even though they may not realize they appreciate it. Yeah. My last job, man. I had to walk, carry all this garbage a quarter of a mile from the building. And, and it was dark. It yeah. was dark and scary and yeah, uphill exactly. both ways. And, yeah, all yeah. those kinds of things. All right. So we're down to the last three. Number eight, experimentation is expected. And this is really unintentionally, but it really is an extension of the Number three version, the job is constantly evolving. So because the job is constantly evolving, we're expected to push the envelope on how we solve problems. You know, how do we build better buildings? How do we make things tighter? How do we make them last longer? How can we solve the same problem, but more cost effectively? How can I make it look better, but not spend as much money? I mean, these are all the challenges that kind of, how can I do X in less time? Mm -hmm. All of it's kind of going through it. And the way I just described it sounds terrible. <laughs> and I'm not sure, sure that it is terrible, but it's, well, here, I'll just read the paragraph I wrote. So I wrote, despite architecture having to contain building sciences and technology, the final esoteric product does not have a definitively right or wrong answer because no two architects will ever come up with the exact same solution given an identical set of parameters there is a liberating sense that you are here for the purpose of imparting your own personality on the project. We're expected to try new things, explore different materials, and incorporate emerging technologies into every project. So 
The sentence that I think we got to key in on is the fact that everybody's solutions are going to be different. So the fact that you're there means you're there for your specific input, right? Not just any input. Since they're all going to be different, you're here because we want your input, Mm -hmm. which is a little liberating. I can tell you at least certainly on the residential work. Yeah. Like 100% true on residential. A little less on the commercial public sector work, but still some though. I mean, like even in any of the, I mean, what I would say maybe is the, any of the most restrictive projects that I've ever done, nobody came to me with like, here's a fully realized solution and I just need you to do it. Draw it up. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are those people, but that's usually residential work in my experience, but it's not like they're coming to me to say, oh, we know exactly what kind of rec center we want. We just want to copy this other one and we need you to do it, right? I mean, they want your ideas. They want your input. They want you to come up with a solution that meets their needs. They're not necessarily seeking a rubber stamp of something else that's already been created. So there is that experimentation that's happening. And even within our own firms, our own world, we're still experimenting with stuff. We're like, well, we'll try it this way and see what happens. And then it gets built and you go, or it gets during construction, like, yeah, that's not how we should have done it. We need to fix it. It doesn't work like I intended it to. Even though it's fine, we can make it better. The next time we do it, we'll make an improvement in this or that that will make it better than we did the last time. Yeah, you know, and and that actually kind of falls onto the negative list because my most successful projects, I walk away with the things that I could have done better. (laughs) Yeah, always. You know, it's like there might be some I go, man, that's great and that's great and that's great. But the things that really stick with you aren't the things that were great. Good. Yeah. It's the things that were just okay. Yeah. Or could have been better. Or man, if we'd just done this. Or I shouldn't have let them talk me into switching this out for that. Yeah. You know. That happens a lot. Honestly, that's the baggage that I take from every single job. For sure. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully, and I think this is part of the reason why architects, in theory, it's not always true, but mostly it's true. They get better as they get older because they're able to take this bag of woulda, coulda, shouldas next times into the next project. So they're like, I tried that before and it didn't work out exactly what I want. So I'll tweak it a little bit differently or I'll push a little bit harder on this or There's reasons why they might advocate for the things that they do based on past experiences. Because it's that idea that you know something that allows you to replicate a success without duplicating the solution. You have enough experience and enough bandwidth of things that you've done professionally to go, this is what made this work, not that. This is what's important, not this. So... Yeah, it's not difficult for me to think of several instances where once the solution went through construction and there was issues with how it was constructed or put together, that you then modify and use it the next time. But you understand now how it could be constructed more efficiently or better to get the desired outcome that you want, even though it wasn't detailed or put together the same way, because you've watched it be constructed once or twice. So you go, oh, well, we're going to change this now because it's going to make it better and easier, and it's still going to give me the same result. All right, there you go. Still on the list. Next one is definitely on the list, but I'm not sure that it's just (laughs) a good thing. (laughs) I was fixing to say, this one to me is pretty, uh, I don't know, interesting, but go ahead. Well, okay, here's what it is. It's longevity of career. You know, you can practice the profession of architecture literally for as long as you want. You'll always be an architect, even when it's not your job anymore. And I can tell you, 
based on the number of emails that I get every time we write a blog post from, you know, there's probably about five or six guys that all email me with like, back in my day, we used to do this and they always have like some sage words to offer and they're very supportive and they're a bunch of great guys. And I think it'd be fun to <laughs> sit outside yeah. by a, uh, open fire and uh-huh. drink exactly. beer and yeah. hear war stories from these people, quite honestly. But they still are practicing architecture every day in their Mm -hmm. head. And some of them are in their 80s. And they're still engaged and they're still on the computer and they're still reading articles. And they're like, hey, back in 1947, we ended up doing this. And if we changed the mortar mix from X to Y, Mm -hmm. we were able to do – they got all these stories. That's like they've they've never left it behind. Even they don't roll out of bed and sharpen a pencil and go sit at a desk in front of a T-square. Yeah. So it's – we'd already talked a little bit about – you know, most architects don't really start to be good or great, depending on how you want to describe it, until they get later in life. And for me, later means like late 40s, early 50s. Nowadays, there's such a, an arc. Like few people come right out of the chute going, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And they just start killing it immediately. There's this, this would almost be its own podcast topic. So I'm not going to dive into it, but it's that that zero to five year person out of school. And the kind of just being in a big office, it's showing me just this breadth of happiness to unhappiness to I'm where I need to be versus I don't know where I need to be, which is I don't need to be here. I see all of that now. And Mm -hmm. it's most volatile in the zero to five year range out of school. Yeah. Once you get past five to seven years, everybody's settled down. You're there for as long as you want to be there almost at this point, at like seven years. You could come to my office in seven years, and if you're happy, chances are you're going to be happy for the rest of your life. And chances are <laughs> we're going to keep you there as long as you want to be there. Yeah. But boy, those like one, two, three, four, five of your people, they're like, this is BS. <laughs> you know? And they're like, yeah. I love it. And the next week, they're like, this sucks. Like, they're all over the place. And sometimes you're like, well, you just got to go, you got to go figure out what your jam is. You love this? Go figure out if you love something else or go find out that you don't love something else. You know, it's kind of funny. When I was younger, and this is not the, hey, back in my day, but the fact that we have an internship as part of our vocational training almost suggests that there was an expectation that when you got out of school, that you were going to try a few things before you kind of landed on what you thought you might do for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Like that was not uncommon for people to change jobs. Now, people are coming out of school and they're like, I got one shot to get it. Bam. Till I'm done. I'm like, that's not true at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, my understanding or interpretation of that is it's a culture, I think, with the young people nowadays. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, but that somehow there's this ingrained nature, and I find it with my students as well, that there's only one right answer or there's only one right thing. And so that's all they want. That's all that they care about or can see when they don't really realize now there's there's a hundred right answers, a million. Yeah. And when it comes to architecture, like we've talked about earlier, right? 10 architects, 10 different solutions. There's a million right answers. And I think the other thing that that ties into, I mean, and it's the next item on the list, right? But that there's a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of different ways to find your jam, like you said, in the profession. More than likely, you're not going to find your jam at one job or doing one thing for the first five to seven years of your career. You got to bounce a little bit. Yeah. Experiment. Go check things yeah. out. It's not, it's like they feel like they have one shot to get it, to get it right. Yeah. 
and the reality is, is we know that they don't. And we actually have a young woman who just gave her notice and it kind of killed us all. And she was very sweet. She was very, very nervous to tell. So she told me and two other people. Oh, yeah. And she was completely ready for us to like be mad at her and like go, you, you betrayer, you, you traitor. Yeah, you're terrible. Like, yeah, we're yeah, giving yeah. you our best lives. And the truth is, is she wants to go back home. She's from Venezuela and that's where family is. And COVID wouldn't let her leave oh. and she couldn't get in. And, and we're like, look, we think you're amazing. There's no question that you leaving is sad. But none of us are mad at you for leaving. Like, we get it. Yeah. Certainly not me, the holder of 10 jobs in their life, right? I mean, I embrace the changing jobs to a certain extent. Yeah, and it's different. I mean, I can't think of any sort of reason that an established person or your boss or somebody shouldn't be mad at you for leaving. No, they, of course. Right, I mean. They shouldn't be. Unless, I mean, I've seen it enough and it has to do with they feel like you're going to regret it because- they took your leaving as a personal affront or a reflection of your feelings towards them as a human being. That's the only time I've seen people get their feelings hurt. Yeah, but I mean, if you're leaving because you want to go to be with your family or near your family, no. I mean, who's gonna who's yeah. gonna be mad? At, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, nobody. Who's gonna be mad at that? Are you gonna yeah. leave to go with your fiance or your no. partner or whatever? Like, who's gonna be mad at that? No one should be mad at that. No one. Like, you Good should luck. Yeah, you shouldn't care about the person who would be mad about that. Yeah, exactly. But if if we circle back on the longevity career, the idea is that it's okay if you change jobs a couple of times, because guess what? You will probably be doing this for a long time. Yeah. A long time. And I do wonder though, there does seem to be, again, the youth movement, the people who are in the earlier parts of their career, you know, and money's a big deal. And they're talking about the debt they have. And like, they just seem to want all of it like right now, like right now. Yeah. You know what? I get it. I'd like to have ev- I'd like to have mm. whatever I'm going to get all of it right now too. I'd like oh, that yeah. as well. For sure. But but I will concede that they really want to there seems to be a shift. The young people don't seem to identify themselves with the profession as strongly as some of the older folks seem to. Like they're much better at separating out mm. mm-hmm. personal time from work time. Sure, sure. And I don't think that they look on it as a positive thing to think, I could still be working when I'm 70. They look at that like, that is some BS that I'm still working when I'm 70. Like, that's the fault of the industry. Like, if the industry was right, I should be able to retire when I'm 58 years old or 62 or whatever it is. That's just what it is. And my peer group generally looks at it and goes, we're doing it because it's fun, because we like it. It's not just about getting a paycheck at a certain point. It's because you're like, I like getting out up out of bed and going somewhere and doing something that I get rewarding. That I get that euphoric feeling when I drive out to the airport and mm-hmm. I see my building. Sure. I still think that's cooler than me just going, I make a lot of money and then I can go home after my straight 40 and call it a day. I don't work more than 40 hours just because I'm busy. I do it because I find it rewarding. I do it because I like what I'm doing. I'd like to be able to turn it off, <laughs> you know, Yeah, yeah like yeah. not have that expectation that, well, you work 60, so now you always work 60 because that's what it takes to do what you do. I don't love that part. Yeah. I think the idea of, and maybe it's that it's longevity of a career is a possibility. It's not a requirement. 
Yes, that's a good way to put it. And I think that's the thing. It's a possibility if you want to do that. If you want to retire at 58, I can guarantee you there's ways to make that happen. Sure. I mean, you know, if you do the right things and plan for that, of course you can. I mean, honestly, you can retire tomorrow if you want. But I think the positive part of it is that there's a possibility for you to continue to do this as long as you desire. That's a much more constructive way to describe it. Not the case for a brain surgeon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a yeah, there's this time span in there, right? I mean, so I think the positive part is that you can do it as long as you want. It's not saying that you have to. I mean, I do remember when I was younger, mm-hmm. I, you know, on my own firm, I was really angry about the fact that, you know, nobody really thought you knew what you were doing in architecture until you were in your 50s. I mean, it still kind of makes me a little bit angry of that notion because, I mean, as a 32-year-old person running a firm and doing the things that I was doing, I mean, I I knew enough to do what I was doing. But the goes back to that possible lack of respect, but I think it takes a while for you to to really grasp everything that you maybe don't know about the profession, but at the same time, I think it it is possible to learn and understand a lot about the profession when you're younger. Yeah, I'll concede that. It's kind of a double-edged thing, I think. But this is a different yeah. topic. This doesn't have to do with longevity career. This has to do with something else. Yes. All we right. can move forward. We'll move on from that. Add it to our list of another episode topic. Okay. So number 10, because we're going to wrap it up because we're late. We were doing good for a while. Yeah. Well, this one kind of blew it. So number 10, last one on the list, incredible variety of options within the profession. You know, the truth is this could be its own podcast. And actually, I think we probably talked about it a certain extent. And that is just at the most basis level that unlike most professions, that when you graduate with a degree in architecture, you don't have to know what type of architecture you're going to practice on. And this is great when you graduate because you don't really know enough about the possibilities of what you want to do. So you can change jobs. You can go from big firms to little firms. You can go to private sector to public sector. You can do lots of different things. You can be a designer. You can be a technical expertise. You can go into There's so many different things. Whatever you have an interest in, there is a place for you in the profession. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And even in not in the profession, I agree with that. Like there's so many things you can do within the field, but there's also these opportunities outside the field with your architecture degree that you can utilize as well. Yeah. You can find all kinds of niche things that happen, but I agree within, even within a single architecture firm or within the profession of architecture, there's still... There's a lot of possibilities of where you spend your time in a day or for your career. Lots of opportunities. Yeah. Okay. That one's so obvious that I go, well, we don't need to get into it. Yeah. Yes. There's, you you can do it. The answer is, what do you want to do? Yes, you can do that. All right. So we're going to move on to the would you rather. So you know the question. You just don't know it's the question for today's show. You've heard this one before. Oh, okay. Sounds fair. No no summary of our top 10 list. No. Okay. You got to read it. The summary is that we went through the 10 and like six of them are still spot on. Four of them are not. Maybe three of the four need to be replaced with something different. (laughs) All right. So overall, that list now maybe is a high C. Yeah. You know, maybe that's what the value of that list is. So it's time to do a new one. As the most trafficked post on the site, it's a C plus. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know what? It was an A-plus for like 10 years. Hey, now, it was probably A-plus when it was written. Yeah. 
For sure, it was A plus when it was written. Mm. Now we're doing something about it. That's why the website is A plus. There you go. Right? Because we're not static. We're, we're always- <laughs> That's right. Constantly evolving. Constantly evolving. All right. So here's the would you rather question. All right? Yep. So I'm pretty sure that I know- Well, there is a right answer for this one. For sure. All right. I'm going to go back to there's a right answer. The question is, would you rather never be able to wear pants or never be able to wear shorts? Oh, yeah, yeah. Easy money. Is it? Yeah, it's never to wear- I would rather be able to never wear shorts. I could wear pants every day I had to wear pants. Because it doesn't say I can not wear anything, right? Like you could be, you go naked? Well, yeah. You know, if I wanted to hang out in my house in my underwear, I could do that. It doesn't say I have to always wear pants. It just says yes. it's either pants fair. or nothing. So pan- pants it is. Uh, here's what we're going to do. The loophole hmm. is not... Not, I can wear whatever I want as long as it isn't defined as pants or shorts. Meaning, you're like, I could wear a muumuu. No, that's not the point. That's, <laughs> I could wear a dress, right? Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. A kilt. Yeah, we're not talking about those. Those are loopholes. or That's not our jam. You either have to wear shorts or pants 100% of the time. That's what it is. One or the other. That's winter. That's summer. That's anytime, everywhere. Wait, but that's anytime you have clothes on. Yes, anytime you're wearing clothes. Okay. I mean, it's not like we're saying, well, I've got to wear pants in the shower and stuff. We're Co- just that is about- correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Anytime I'm dressed. Yes. You either have to wear pants or shorts. You can't flip flop between the two. Okay. I mean, I'm still thinking it's pants, but with this added caveat you're doing, is that when I go to sleep? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's still pants. It's fine. Even though I know it's super hot. At this point in my life, I rarely wear shorts anyway. But I can't imagine going to business meeting or teaching class or what if I had to go to a wedding or, you know, or something. Oh, wait. Yeah. I get to walk my daughter down the aisle in shorts. That's a hard pass, man. Tuxedo hard shorts. Pass. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. I'm done. And you're just going to pull your socks up really long. <laughs> yeah. Get some thigh high socks. Some yeah. garter th- socks. Yeah. It has to be pants, right? It has to be. Now, I do wear shorts a lot. In the summertime, I'm always in shorts. Mm. 100% of the time. Mm. Now, not when I go to the office, not when I go to meetings. I mean, around the house, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to like have them go to the grocery store, I'm not. Look, unless I have to wear pants, I'm wearing shorts. That's how that works. Gotcha. Yeah. But, but I don't live somewhere that's so hot. People would think that's crazy. They're like, yes, you do. I can wear, no. I can, you can wear, you can, look, in really hot environments, they wear pants all the time. They just wear thin pants. Yeah. Linen pants or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. I want someone to say, I'm shorts. Like maybe, <laughs> if you're renting, look, if you're renting motor scooters, that's your dream job. Rent motor that's scooters right. on the beach. You're going, that's shorts. you're going to yeah. go shorts. I'm picking shorts. Sure. Let's hope that your dream never comes true because you just said pants. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If I'm in retirement, man, I'm shorts, 100%. But yeah, if I can't switch, I can't switch. But I'll, I, but nowadays, I can wear like the kids do, you know, pants that are like 85% holes. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
That might be pants. the oldest sounding <laughs> sentence I've ever heard in I my know. life. I know. This is funny. I <laughs> That's why I had to do it because it was hysterical. I know. And you I know what? And it didn't come from the oldest person on the show. I'd like to just point that uh, out. So, And it was it was 100% a choke. But it was, uh, you know what? It was 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I got you. Golly. I've never felt older. <laughs> on that, we're going we're gonna to close this episode down on that high note. Sounds fair. Yeah. Sounds fair. All right. We already kind of summarized the list. Pretty good. C plus, maybe B minus in retrospect. Maybe I'll maybe I'll bump mm. myself up to a B. Mm. I don't know. When I write the blog post, I will I will give us a final grade. All right. So thank you for being with us today for episode 92. Top 10 reasons to be an architect. Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you liked today's episode, please take the next 10-15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe or follow button if you haven't already. So you can get bright and sparkly new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment and I would greatly appreciate it if you would give us a A-plus top 10 rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this wonderful episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.